0: Before I begin, I want to acknowledge where I am situated, which is on the traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. To acknowledge this territory is to recognize its longer history, one predating the establishment of the earliest European colonies. It is also to acknowledge this territory's significance for the indigenous peoples who lived and continue to live upon it and whose practices and spiritualities were tied to the land and continue to develop in relationship to the territory and its other inhabitants today. I recognize my own history and how it places me in the structure that is still heavily influenced by colonialism. And as you listen to this series on black experiences in Kingston, I hope that you place yourself on your land and acknowledge what it might feel like for non-settlers to navigate the systems in place. Welcome back to another episode of Kingston the Black Experience. I'm really excited about this episode um, because I'm interviewing uh, Trinda Peniston who is a PhD student and it's really interesting to learn about her dissertation and her research that I'm not going to tell you about now because I'm hoping you'll learn from Trinda in the interview. but it's really um, a nice perspective this this uh, episode will focus a lot on what it feels like to not be represented in um, the space you're in how that can impact the research you're doing how it can um, impact your mental health and wellness and your sense of belonging um i think it's important to note that um, i have a relationship with trinda as a person who i um, see at community events a lot um but this is the first time i'm learning more about uh where she came from, how she got to Kingston and Queens, and uh, her plans for her next step. So this was all learning for me too, to understand um, how Trinda shows up in Kingston and what it's felt like for her. Let's be kind as you listen to this episode. It was my very first time recording with another person and the audio is not wonderful but the content is so please be patient i sorted out my audio issues after this interview um but it's hard to get the content um on a second recording so i really tried to salvage what i what i could from the interview but i know i'm very aware that the audio is not wonderful so for people who are for listeners who are um audio centered meaning like you know what it should sound like our experts in this field my apologies in advance please bear with me i promise it's worth the whole and whole listen Uh, thank you for continuing to listen to Kings in the black experience if you're wanting to know more um, or learn more about the podcast you can uh, visit me on instagram um kinks in the black experience and enjoy the episode. Welcome to Kingston: The Black Experience. Thank you so much for doing
1: this. Thank you for having me.
0: It's my pleasure. Tell me about yourself.
1: I'm Trinda Pennison, Um And about me, well, this is, this is this is always an interesting story because I usually dive right into like my student identity, like. I'm, student here at Queen's University, <laughs> and then I'm like, wait a second, I don't want that to be the whole identity. <laughs> um, but a little bit more about me is um, I have an identical twin sister, and she's my best friend. Um, unfortunately, back away at home. I consider myself to be a nerd. I play Dungeons and Dragons. I watch anime. Like I'm super into all the nerdy stuff. Um, I'm also a student here. And what else? What else? What else? What else? Oh, what else can I tell you? Yeah. (laughs)
0: Well, tell me, you said back home. So where is that? Tell me about that. So back home to me is Winnipeg,
1: Manitoba. That's Mm -hmm. where I was born and raised before coming to Kingston
0: to do my degree here. Awesome. Okay. So that is really good perspective to know, know where you're coming from and what brought you here. So tell me why Kingston, why Queens? Mm-hmm. So
1: I came to Kingston just because of Queens. Mm-hmm. I was doing my undergrad in psychology in Winnipeg at the University of Manitoba. I knew I wanted to be a clinical psychologist. Um, I submitted grad applications, multiple rounds of graduate applications, and as you know, they are really tough. Sometimes you don't get in the first time. Um, And consistently, I just did not get into clinical psych programs until when I applied to Queen's. My supervisor really wanted me in her lab, and she said, would you be willing to accept an offer if it was for a social psych program instead? And I told myself that Queen's was going to be my number one choice for a clinical program, but I had other schools in mind if it was non-clinical, because I also applied to social psych programs. I applied to marriage and family counseling and therapy programs and anything else that... Could touch on my area of interest, which was sexuality, mm-hmm. and Queens had like a lot of sexuality research, so I was like, okay, that's the place where I'm gonna be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, yeah, I would accept the offer, but like I need to know that I have the opportunity to like switch into or apply to clinical later on. Mm-hmm. If I really like this program, I really like this school, I want to be able to stay here mm-hmm. um, and just do clinical psych instead. Mm-hmm. Um she said, if that's what you want to do, like, a couple of years down the line, if you decide that that's your choice, then I'll support you in that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, all right, done. And that's how I ended up
0: here. Amazing. Amazing. Okay. So, and so how long have you been here for? And what has that journey been like from, you know, having this abstract idea of coming here, finding support, and then, you know, ending up here in Kingston? I
1: The journey over here was was interesting because as you know, like black people, we tend to look up, like if we're not familiar with the city, like mm-hmm. how many black people are in the city, mm-hmm. like quote, quote, how are racist, like who in yeah. <laughs> the city? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and it was through those searches and also communicating with other people that I became familiar with the culture of Kingston and Queens being like a small, like pretty white university, like student-centered town. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm entering grad school when I'm like 26, 27, mm-hmm. and I'm also like not white. <laughs> I'm also not a small city person, like what am I doing? But at the same time I was like, okay, like I have a career of mine, I have a goal to get to, like I'm gonna go to where it's gonna give me the best like resources and opportunities to get to where I want to go. And if it sucks for a few years, I'm just gonna like put up with it. Right. Um, And I tried to like remind myself like, okay, like on paper, Queens is actually a pretty good like school. They have pretty high standards, like they're like well-known, like people are familiar with it you know has a good reputation Mm -hmm. until I talk to people of color (laughs) and and I I remember this like it was yesterday when I told some of my friends back in Winnipeg I went to like a lot of other like black focused events and like Mm -hmm. art events particularly Mm -hmm. and I was speaking to some of my black um friends and colleagues there and I told them I got into Queen's University and we started there in the fall and like verbatim I quote my friend said I'm sorry (laughs) And I was like, wait, why? And then they gave me all the tea, like basically confirming all the things that I was Googling and looking up. And I said, like, okay, at least if nothing else, I know exactly what to expect when I Right. And I'm going to, like, prepare for the worst, but also yeah. try to make the best out of it.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and that's what I've been doing since I got here. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like, when I started in my program, I met an amazing cohort of people. And these folks ended up being, like, some of my closest confidants and friends. Right. And um, who were going to be lifelong friends with me. Um, mm. People who I would consider, like, good white people. Because yeah. that was the thing. Like, going into the psychology program, it's an incredibly white right. program. Right. Right. I was one of two black people in the program and now I'm the only well, not the only one there's another one coming in in the fall right but still, right only one <laughs> okay now two great right um, oh my goodness so like despite finding my people I still and expecting going into like this program like I expected coming in thinking that I was not going to make friends right and I was going to be lonely and isolated right and I got the best possible situation. situations like okay I made two really good friends but despite finding my people mm-hmm. I still felt like a severe sense of loneliness and isolation mm-hmm. that was like very different from what I expected like nothing I've right. ever felt before right. um, because it felt like really weird. Like, I was like gaslighting myself. I told myself like how am I still feeling like this severe level of like loneliness and isolation when I have super good friends super close friends and going out like every night um, or not every night, but you know, close enough. It was something that I never really understood and didn't know how to deal with mm-hmm. until I had to deal with it. Yeah. Um, and, and since then, I've just kind of like grown and built my community and mm-hmm. maintained those friendships, tried to find other friendships, kept in close contact with folks back home in Winnipeg. Right. Some of them have moved to Toronto recently, okay. so now they're a lot closer. Mm-hmm. And it's just become a lot better since
0: then. Amazing, amazing. Okay, so you've touched on what your experience has been like in that isolation. And so in that isolation, how did you try to find your community? So I know that, like, I mean, I know that you're in the Black Light Collective chat for those listeners that are, literally is a chat for black folks in Kingston to connect, which is kind of new, you know. Um, it was started, I feel like, in 2020. So did you feel a shift from, I mean, it's been almost five years for you. So like pre-2020, um, in terms of like folks really making the effort in Kingston to really tap into each other, mm-hmm. pre and post, did you feel a difference
1: Absolutely, I would say I did. Like, when I first moved to Kingston, Mm -hmm. um, I didn't know anybody or, like, didn't really know, like, what was the good things going on in the city. Like, I still did my research. Like, before moving here, I searched up all of the different Queens University clubs. That's Mm -hmm. how I found, like, Yellow House. Like, that's Mm -hmm. how I found Office the African-Caribbean Student Association. And through them, then I just kind of learned more and more about other groups, mm-hmm. but I still felt a sense of disconnect because a lot of them were like very like undergrad focused. Like, and mm-hmm. I'm not an undergrad, I'm like almost 30 Okay. That <gasps> was still something that gave me like at least like a small or like closer sense of community than what I expected to have.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and more recently having learned about and joined the, uh, the Black Black Collective group chat, mm-hmm. um, and then just, like, continuing to foster those relationships, going to more events post-COVID, mm-hmm. especially. Right. Yeah. um, but Meeting people like you and other people who are well-connected um, has helped a lot. Yeah. Now, like, I wouldn't say that it's exactly where I want it to be, but I don't expect it to be where I want to be for as long as I still yeah. here. You know?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Like, it's going to be close enough, and I'm going to make the best of like, what I got.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, let's talk about that when you think about, yeah, where you want to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're done, are you going to flee, like, what happens with many black folks <laughs> <I got laughs> that come know. through Kingsley? <laughs> Transients.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I didn't expect to stay here as soon as I knew that I was coming here. I was like, this is the place where I'm going to go to school and like dip out. Mm. Um, there are some times where I've thought about it, like if I get a really, really good job, a really well-paying mm. job, right. um, and I've already started building and fostering community here where it's like, okay, I could maybe be happy here. Right. Realistically, it's on the bottom of my It's like the worst case scenario that I really can't get my ideal jobs or careers like anywhere else. Right.
0: (laughs) Okay. Well, that's good to know. makes me kind of
1: sad, but... I totally yeah, it understand. Is, it's <laughs> yeah. kinda sad, but like yeah. there are some there's a few things that I know that would keep me here. Mm-hmm. Like one of them is the community that I have built. Mm-hmm. Knowing that I'm gonna be leaving and trying to find a career like elsewhere. It's sad. It, it might not be the ideal like community that you're looking for, the ideal situation that you expect or that you want, but it's still sad to leave regardless. Yeah. Um. So if nothing else, like whenever I do get around to leaving Kingston, I know that I am going to have community here and I'll have a reason to come back and visit or say hi or if there's like conferences or like other events going on like yeah. here, then I'll be like, okay, I know who to contact. I know who to reach out to and know where to go. I yeah. know where I'm going to, yeah, gonna, I know who I'm going to connect
0: with. Oh, uh, okay.
1: That's, that's,
0: that's a nice perspective to know that you will always kind of have it as Somewhere that you can call home even for a short visit, Mm -hmm. but not somewhere where you want to lay roots. Mm -hmm. So you talk about career and I know that you're working on your dissertation. So yeah, let's talk about that. Let's talk about what it's been like navigating that because your research is so specific Mm -hmm. and specific to the black community. And yeah, what that's felt like in terms of
1: next steps and
0: where you feel like you are going to thrive in the work that you want to do after Queen's. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, so with my research, it's been tough because I kind of went in with the expectation that it wasn't going to go as I planned. When I joined her lab, she does a lot of sexuality research. She looks at sexual response and sexual psychophysiology. Mm and when looking at sexual responses, people are watching sexually explicit videos. Um, essentially, just like examining their physiological responses to different sexual cues. Um, but the thing that I noticed pretty consistently in her lab and that I've noticed more through other people's research doing the similar kind of like same things Mm -hmm. is that all of the videos and images and all the essentially all the visual cues that they're looking at are depicting like white people and I was like okay so I have ideas of what I want to do but like we need to I can't use this (laughs) I want to do what I want to do Um, and so I had a conversation with her I said like hey like a lot of your like the like research materials that you're using is like very like white centered, white like, focused and this is the idea I want to pursue I want to look at like black women's sexual responses, I want to see how responses that change or fluctuate mm-hmm. when they're seeing people who look like them mm-hmm. compared to when they're watching the typical things that we see in media which is like white people, white content because mm-hmm. I expect to see some changes, fluctuations that are going to be different than what we see in white people when we right. look at them and their responses yeah. and she was like alright, let's do it yeah. but <laughs> right, but. In Kingston, right, <laughs> where, right. Where like, where are you going to get a large enough sample size, like with the 10 plus black folks
0: in Kingston? You know? <laughs> 10 plus? At
1: the time, really <laughs> 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 No, she legit. Um, she legit. Uh, Google, like, Kingston, yeah. Ontario, like, black population <laughs> to see <laughs> if it was even feasible <laughs> for me to do my research. Right oh, my goodness. Um, okay. In my next like okay so here's the results. stats canada here's the result google and she's like all right this is not gonna happen okay. but we can still do it so she's like okay we're just gonna have to adapt it and do it online right um and then what happened is that i just did my study online i collected videos off the internet and that was a whole process in and of itself right. um we put it in online surveys and just right. Did a bunch of different coding to try and make it work, okay. and we made it work. Hey, okay, amazing! Really results are really interesting results from that that I'm now working on trying to publish. Right. <laughs> um. And then since then, I've switched supervisors and I'm now focusing my research more on sexual pleasure and pain and more kind of like health aspect. Mm-hmm. Um. And again, I want to do research on like Black women and Black women's like sexual pleasure and pain. Yeah. Um. And this one's going to be really interesting because I'm doing a much more qualitative approach. I want to do like individual, in-depth, like, focused interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's going to be hard to find people and recruit people. Yeah. And this is a process that my, my previous supervisor, even my current supervisor, they know how to do this work. They're the experts in their fields. But at the same time, when it comes to, like, working with and establishing... You know research participation and protocols mm-hmm. with folks who they are not used to working with or who are not regularly a part of their research yeah. like it stumps them too like they know right. how to support me and they do the best that they can right um and so despite that support like i think that sometimes researchers don't realize that like when you're doing work with underrepresented or marginalized groups and there's a whole another set of processes procedures steps time effort that goes into making sure that you foster the trust in those relationships in order to get them to participate in your research mm-hmm. it takes time so like yeah. several times I'm like I'm really falling behind compared to my peers yeah. and they're like no don't worry about it you're not falling behind like they're trying to support me they're trying to say like don't worry it's just imposter syndrome And am like it's, it's not <laughs> like imposter syndrome is actually like a real thing for black folks mm-hmm. like We don't have representation on our campuses, so the evidence that we're seeing that we don't belong or that we're not welcome is very clear to us. We're seeing it and it's really penetrating our experiences and emotions that this white people just don't experience yeah like i'm not saying that like people don't experience imposter syndrome they really right. do but it's just it's very different
0: yeah we're we're devalued by the absence of our pre like of our presence mm-hmm. basically like and that,
1: that works as evidence to really like essentially corroborate the imposter syndrome that we're feeling like right. it's not just the syndrome like right it's are really
0: built to keep that- Yeah, <laughs> literally <laughs> And so we've had to, like, fight an elbow to get here. And so because of that, means a lot of us haven't made it here. Exactly. And,
1: and that makes it harder for me to do my research, in that sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it literally is an uphill battle.
1: Yeah. And so I'm yeah. still working on it. Like, I don't have my dissertation started. I yeah. haven't really written it yet. I'm still in the works of getting it off the ground. but Right. But eventually, and it might not work out the way I want it to. But yeah. We'll get close.
0: You're, you're so... so- Positive, I and I, you know, I I love that because I I think like that is really the only way to power through. Mm-hmm. And this conversation around resilience is always so difficult because you know we no longer want to be resilient. We want, you know, me and my friends are always just saying I just want to live a soft life, but like the systems actually mean that we do need to be resilient. And so, but it's like we want to be in systems that don't require resilience in terms of like you needing to go out and dig deeper on the representation in your own research. Whereas some of our peers would not need to do that. When I say peers, I mean folks that don't look like us (laughs) would not, would not need to do that. And so they kind of have this ease and like that literally is a system is having the ease of just focusing on the work instead of coming up against boundaries that have been set to make our work more difficult or the questions that haven't been asked because you're the first one in the room to ask those questions. Right. Um, And that is really hard. And so you kind of fight up against like this model minority thing where, Mm -hmm. you know, like I was talking to a student yesterday and she was like, you know, I said, I've reached this point in my life where I realize, I mean, this sounds ironic because I feel like I try to do a lot of things, including this podcast, but I realize that I don't need, somebody else will do it. And, you know, she said, but they won't do it, Mm -hmm. but they won't. And so when they don't, that stresses me out. And so, some folks in communities where there, aren't, uh, there isn't a lot of representation, how they're just exhausted from trying to shove that equity, diversity, and inclusion lens into their work that's, like, never seen it before. And it really shouldn't be their responsibility. And it shouldn't have been your responsibility. But, I mean, you're, I love that you, have like, found a way to just harness it and move forward with it and kind of find the gaps. And it's informed your work, and your work is going to be so enriched by it. But it's so unfortunate but that's what's had to happen yeah. right mm-hmm. yeah
1: absolutely for sure and it's yeah. really funny that you say that because as i'm listening to you talk i'm thinking about like all the times where it's like the same people who are telling us to, like or expecting us to like be resilient yes and, like you know like do this work they're not telling us it's just you should not have to do the work but they have the expectations that we have to do the work because they're, they're like oh i can't do the work i'm not in this space or place etc
0: Yeah, or they've never, like, tried. Yeah, that too. You know, is the responsibility is on the person who wants the representation, not the person who actually has had, like, an entire year not having to ask the questions to to try to ask the questions for once, Mm -hmm. right? And so, like, that is the conversation around allyship and what that looks like and how it, you know, those black squares are, like, basically gone (laughs) from June 2020. It's, it's It's a tough thing, and I think that this is going to be a theme, I know. This is our first conversation. but the conversations I'm having in these episodes are conversations I've had that haven't been recorded like for my entire life, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's just what I've realized is some folks who haven't had the opportunity to listen because we don't really have these conversations in front of people that don't look like us..
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so and when we try then we are
0: met with some of the most outlandish I know. <laughs> I know. When you want to be vulnerable, then it can get turned around or thrown back. Mm-hmm. or So P- people don't want to get uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. They say they do. Yeah. But then when you put it out there. True.
1: And I was like, you know what? None of us want to be uncomfortable. Some of us kind of like have
0: like that. This is like the norm. This is the norm. I mean, we all want to be comfy, but this is yeah. the norm. Yeah. Um, and so there you have it. We have this weird silver lining where our ancestors did. Fight mm-hmm. deeply to show up and mm-hmm. find joy and like that's why black folks are so damn joyful yes. because they had to you know do the most mm-hmm. and like we've all inherited inherited that we've inherited you know the structures um and the systemic disadvantages but we've also inherited all of that mm-hmm resilience that like we talk
1: about not wanting but yeah. you know it is in us absolutely the intergenerational kind of like passing down is not just limited to our trauma and yeah. our pain it's like we have also passed down our smiles and our yeah. voice and our <laughs> like, i'm sorry it
0: doesn't just go one 100 100 um so i tried i try to lean into that And so I know that you want to touch on dating just a little bit because this is another conversation that doesn't often happen in terms of, like, what that feels like. And it is my blind spot, you know. I I left Kingston. Mm-hmm. I met my husband outside. I mean, my husband is white, but I met him away from Kingston yeah. in a different environment. I, we've been together for 16 years, so I never had to do, like... Wow. Yeah. I never had to do Tinder or, mm-hmm. you know, like, Bumble or any of these things. And I talked to my girlfriends who live in the GTA about those things but I don't really tap into what that looks like mm. in Kingston. A few people I've talked to but yeah, if you if you want to touch on that, I think it's a really
1: interesting
0: and important perspective.
1: Mm-hmm. So this is something that's very like near and dear to my heart. Something that I'm very passionate about. Yeah. Because I think the like dating black experience is something that's very very different compared to non-black people, not just white people, but like mm-hmm. also like other like non-black people of color. Yeah. And particularly for black women mm-hmm. too, because the dating experience is something that I think is like all of us, like, know about, like, something that we've been maybe talking about in silence and secret for, like, many, many, many years. Yeah. But, like, it's something that I'm starting to recently see in more research as well. Okay. Like, I'm really interested in the topic, or the phenomenon called sexual racism. Okay. Um, which is very, like, new and empirical and kind of research. Essentially what it is, how it's been defined anyways, is the rejection of a person on the basis of their, like, racial ethnic background. Right. Um, and this is something that is a common experience, I would say, for yeah. black women. Yeah. Um, in research, it's been talked about very largely in the context of online dating, mm-hmm. particularly as it applies to, like, men of color, okay. queer men of color, because this is also very, like, pervasive in the queer community, Mm -hmm. as it affects queer men um, Mm -hmm. of color. Right. Um, I would say that it goes kind of, like, both ways. It's not just on the rejection of a person on the basis of their, like, race or ethnicity, Mm -hmm. but also the fetishization of it. There are Mm -hmm. people who, like, really are, like, out in these streets trying to, like, catch a vibe with us. Right. (laughs) Purely based on stereotypes Mm -hmm. about what our sexualities and our kind of dating experiences are like. Yeah. And I think that's something that would probably apply, like, very largely here in Kingston as well as other places where it's a largely, like, white-centered, like, very large white community. Um, But even without that, it's pretty pervasive. Because maybe some people might have seen this in recent articles, but, like, dating websites like, you know, Grindr, um, Facebook Dating even, have started to release data and statistics to suggest that... At like least in the heterosexual realm, I should say. Right, right. That black women are the least desired, the least swiped on, the least contacted, yeah. the, reje- the ones who are rejected the most yeah. as potential dating um, and sexual partners. Right. Um, but even when we are, um, you know, desired or reached out to or approached, it's like, do we know whether people are approaching us genuinely for who we are as people or is it because they kind of just, like, are hypersexualizing us yeah. and think that we're going to, like,
0: do a yeah. good work for them. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. 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 And this is something that like I I've experienced myself mm-hmm. that I have felt myself because even if you don't experience it directly, yeah. it's the it's the perception that you are not desirable as a person, that yeah. people don't believe that you are desirable because yeah. we are aware. We're aware of how people treat us, we're aware of how people see us. where people are telling us directly. Like yeah. if you go on Grindr or on like dating websites like today, yeah. you will see people put directly in their profiles. Yes. That they don't date like <coughs> Asians, they don't date blacks, etc. Um, but it's viewed as, like, a preference. I'm doing quotation marks for listeners. Yes. Like people are justifying this as, like, a, oh, it's a preference. Yeah. Um, and the thing is that, like, this one's kind of hard to argue, at least for folks who aren't directly in it. And sometimes even for the folks who are. Yeah. Because in a lot of ways, people are just like, yeah, I just have a preference and you should be able to have your preference. or like, you can't really do anything about your preferences. Yeah. And, like, sometimes that's true. Sometimes it does sure. have a valid place. But right. when we talk about preferences then, like, we're going to have to dig deep and, like, ask ourselves, like, okay, like, what exactly is What's it different? fueled by?
0: Yes. White supremacy? Is it
1: what is it? <laughs> yeah. like, I'm sorry, but, like, if you're saying, like, oh, I have a preference for, like, white people, mm-hmm. then, like, that's different than actively rejecting and denying an entire population of like black or Asian or otherwise yeah. like that's not a preference that's like straight up rejection like that's yeah. straight up discrimination you're completely excluding an entire population and entire community yeah. it's no longer a preference when you're doing that right. um and then even if it actually is just a preference like yeah I'll date a black guy but <laughs> there's the but right. like how much are you really digging for and looking for people who kind of like fit as close as possible to centric standard of beauty, the European kind of like stereotypes, yep. or as I said earlier, like the opposite. Like how much are you like really like, sort of like snow bunnies, yeah. like the ones who are actively seeking and only dating. Like, for example, like I'm going to just put black men, like a black yeah. men because they're like, oh I just won't date like other folks because, and then they just start listing off stereotypes. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, what that does to us is that, like, you know, for people maybe in Kingston, for example, in a place that's primarily white or where there's not a lot of, like, other, like, black people or people of color in the community, yeah. we are constantly, like, second-guessing and questioning like, our admirability <laughs> yeah, people. Yeah. Um, and the people who do approach us, do they actually like me? You know, et cetera.
0: Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. I think, you know, and so I should even preface, you've really triggered a lot of, Memories really for me as a teenager, a teen, a black teenage girl in King's. What that was like to have, you know, my boy, my white boyfriend's friends say, Oh, what's it like dating a black girl? You know, and it's like, um, what <laughs> well, you know how do you even respond to that um or you know I, I mentioned in that first episode the first episode of this series is like a spoken word where I say like oh she's so pretty for a black girl mm-hmm. like I you know and it's like but what does that mean and so you're internalizing all of these comments or you know she's not black black like all of this stuff mm-hmm. right because then like some white folks like like you said they want to date somebody who's black or a person of color but they want them to be assimilated to white culture Mm -hmm. so or to kind of lean into those stereotypes of you know the BET rap videos (laughs) so that is a real struggle and then you just kind of feel a gaslit because then you don't know why somebody actually is into you and then you kind of have to like do like a bit of a deep dive Mm -hmm. and then gaslight themselves too. (laughs) <laughs> it's the data, but like you said, it's the data. So, like as we mentioned earlier in our conversation about imposter syndrome and how folks are like, oh, you know, like don't worry. It's like, well, it's literally data driven that um, people don't prefer a black woman. Like it is in the numbers. And so, like, what does that actually look like? And why are folks making these choices? And like, how do you navigate that?
1: Mm-hmm. Because. Like, avoidance. A lot of it ends up being avoidance or like fear going into the dating world. Right. Um Loss of confidence. Like just all these negative impacts and effects that yeah. we literally have to fight so hard. This is like we have to like fight to have confidence. But then at the same time, if you're mm. too confident, black girl.
0: Right. Then, right. Know? Then you're aggressive, or you're a, yeah. And then it's like, oh, she's too much. Mm. And it's like, well, actually, I'm just fighting every single
1: insecurity
0: that's been ingrained in me because I know what the truths are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, tell me again why you're not staying here.
1: <laughs> oh my goodness. It <laughs> okay, doesn't, yeah. doesn't just apply to small white towns either. No, like, as no. you know, or as you've seen even, yeah. like, the, again, the data is there. Like, dating websites have released this. Like, other black men also, like, mm-hmm. are not swiping on black women. <laughs> and, right. Or contacting or approaching, like, black women, like we're at least desired within our own community sometimes
0: yeah. too. Yeah, I was actually listening to a comedian where she said, was it Issa Rae or was it like the Black comedy sketch show? I can't remember which comedian said this. But basically she was like, oh, it's in Issa Rae's book, uh, Awkward Black Girl, mm-hmm. where she says, you know, all, because Asian men are also like showing up as least desired. So she was like, yeah. I just think we should like have a all Asian men date all Black women and like we the, the least desired come
1: together <laughs> and unite. <laughs> I know talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm
0: gonna have to find find that quote because mm-hmm. um, I was like just re-listening to it on Audible, yeah. and I like had I mean, I had to laugh um, because when you when something is so like depressingly true, what else do you, you do? Like, laugh. what is yeah? Like, what else do you do other than maybe this is a joy we talk yeah. about? Other laugh than just funny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, laugh so you don't cry or or cry and laugh. You know, yeah. it's it's just. It's, de- it's so depressing, mm-hmm. but it's the realities. And, like, these are culture shifts that are going to take s- decades, centuries. Like, it's nothing that can be dealt with by the time we're ready to, like, find a partner and, like, mm-hmm. settle down. So it's just something you know you're going to be continuing to navigate. Yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: Which is a hard reality. Looking back at young trends, or looking at future students that look like you're going into specifically your program and that is so homogenous, what is your advice to those folks in terms of like trying to navigate
1: Kingston? My advice might not be the best because my advice is generally to go out and find your people, do yeah. the research, find your communities, find the spaces on and off campus. Um, if you don't have the people in your programs in academia, especially in, like largely predominantly white like academic spaces like Queens, then go outside of the academy and find the people who are not in academia. Like some mm-hmm. of my best and closest friends are not in academia, and it's like. The absolute best to be able to have normal, non-academic conversations with people. Right. But at the same time, I'm coming from the perspective of somebody who's like a major extrovert. I like to go mm-hmm. out a lot, and I like am energized by the presence of other people. Mm-hmm. So this is really hard advice for people who are much more introverted, or like to be in isolation, or like need to have their own, you know, solitude in order to recharge. It's so much harder for them to like build make the time to do that if it's just not a part of, you know, <laughs> what energizes them, or it mm. may even drain them. Yeah. So for the more introverted folks, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I'm sorry <laughs> about <okay>. that. That's <laughs> okay. Don't be sorry. Uh, truly, I am. But even, like, during the pandemic, during COVID, like, I spent a lot of time in isolation. That was rough for me. But finding, like, your people online or finding spaces online. Like, I joined, like, writing groups of, like, just, like, completely, like, black people or black, like, women writing groups. So I'm like, okay, if I have to write my pieces anyways, like I'm going to be in space with other black folks. Yeah. You know? Or, like, other, like, like, forums and, like, community boards or even just lurking. I'm sometimes a lurker on social media. Mm-hmm. So, like, even just, like lurking at or seeing other people's profiles and seeing the presence of other black people in all different contexts, like whether it be joy or pain or whatever, give Mm -hmm. yourself the diversity of those experiences. And if you're not in contact with those people directly, it still gives you a sense that you're not alone. Yeah. You know? And like really, it is rough. It's rough out (laughs) in these streets. But we gotta do what we gotta do in order to like be
0: okay. That's great advice. That's great advice. And I love that you chose the Yellow House to do. So for listeners, we're sitting in the living room of the Yellow House, which is a center for student um, inclusion on campus. Uh, it's actually where I work. It was head of my master's project. And this is the dream, is for to have folks say, like, you suggested let's meet at the Yellow House I haven't been there in a while mm-hmm. um, and it's a game I feel like it's a game changer
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. honestly just finding out about this center was amazing because this was one of the first places of contact I made when I came to Queens um, mm-hmm. and it was for I think it was a I don't remember if this was Oxar or just Yellow House independently but it was right. Whole Food Sunday event, um, where I was like, oh my gosh, I can actually go and eat Caribbean food with other Caribbean and African folks, um, or Afro-identified folks, Um, and it just felt like home, Uh, home away
0: from home. That makes me so happy. Yeah, I I see the center, I didn't apply to Queens, but I see it as, like, the place I would have wanted if I were to apply to Queens. Mm -hmm. It's, like, one of the reasons why I didn't apply to Queens, right, Mm -hmm. is because, like you said, you were, like, Googling... What's it going to be like? I was in Kingston being like, I know what it's going to be like. So I'm not even going to try. And when I moved back to Kingston, people, I did have people say, why are you doing that? Like, are you doing that on purpose? Mm-hmm. Like, what are you doing? Is that really something you want to do? Um, and it took a while to get here to get to the Yale House. And obviously, that's not how, my first job getting here. But it just, like, fills me with so much joy when I hear students like you say, yeah, I came and I ate and I met folks like me and, like... That's what it's really all about. Like, that's mm-hmm. literally what this equity work is about, is about just, like, carving mm-hmm. out the spaces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to add? I feel like we touched on a lot of things. Like, you touched on your dissertation, which is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, your experience moving here. Um, which, honestly, like, when you say Winnipeg, like, I don't think black folks. No. Nope. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it, don't.
1: Winnipeg was a place where I was very motivated to leave at the Mm -hmm. time when I was applying for graduate programs um, Mm -hmm. because like I grew up in like a predominantly white area Mm -hmm. but like I would say that Winnipeg did have I would say like the black population there was not very large until like literally just before I left like mm. we saw like a large influx of like immigration so like started to see a lot more like African Caribbean folks okay. um and I just started building that community just as I was getting okay. ready to okay. me up. it was sad I joined a group called Black Space Winnipeg okay. um and I wish I knew about it sooner because that right. would have been maybe one of the things that would have convinced me to stay in Manitoba I wasn't staying in Manitoba anyways there wasn't like a lot of sexuality research going right on there. yeah that's fair um, but yeah, I was like, man, I can't believe I built this community and then like dipped. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, but again, it gave me a reason to actually enjoy going back. Um, but I will say that, like, I that I would say that there is like a large diverse population it's not it is a predominantly white city mm. but it's also like has the largest indigenous population there's a large community of like Filipinos um, so I grew up with not very many black friends but I also mm. had very few white friends so Interesting. I felt like some sense of community and had a lot of diversity and diverse experiences mm. got to try and be immersed in a lot of different cultures and like foods and food is so important to me yeah, same. Um, and also Winnipeg has something called Fulgarana where it does have like just two weeks straight up like all of the different communities and cultures in Winnipeg kind of just coming together for two straight weeks and Mm. showcasing their cultures and different aspects of their cultures and every year like that's something to look forward to um so I was just like I did still feel a sense of like racialized or like black community there despite not being within like a deeply like specific like black community or black spaces until just as I was getting ready so it was still a different experience compared to coming here where I'm like, oh my God, all of my friends are white now. How did this <laughs> <laughs> Where am I? <laughs> Get
0: out. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's really important perspective, I think, because sometimes I think that folks who come here and they come from already being the only one come here and they're like, I know what this is going to feel like. Versus folks who come from, yeah, you know, like, the GTA or Rexdale. Rexdale is actually, like, kind of where I lived when I was mm-hmm. I um, was on North Campus for Humber. I went to Gulf Humber. So, for me, it was the opposite. Like, I got to Humber, and I was like, whoa, whoa, I'm blending in. So, that's, like, such an interesting perspective that, you know, you it wasn't all black folks, but you still did have that diverse perspective, which we know mm-hmm. that, like, these diverse perspectives are, like, what makes us all thrive. Mm-hmm. And so... It, it always feels like a missing piece. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, that's really good to know. Mm-hmm. Good good context into how your experience shifted.
1: Very much so. <laughs> and a
0: learning for me, like, what Winnipeg actually is like, because I've never been out that way.
1: Mm-hmm. I
0: mean, not a lot of people go Yeah, that way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fair, fair. Okay, well, Trinda, this has been amazing. Thank you again so much for having me. Thank you for, yeah, for being willing to talk about your experience and, you know, have it recorded and shared on um, platforms where, you know, you know who's listening. So I really appreciate. Um, I think I think folks are going to get a lot out of this conversation, honestly. I did, um, personally. <laughs> yeah, I really, I really did. Um, so, it's been
1: a pleasure talking to you and having yeah.
0: this conversation. Once again, my name is Tiana Edwards, your host of Kingston, The Black Experience. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I really appreciate you listening and I look forward to you joining next time. If you're on Instagram, you can find me at Kingston Black Experience for the latest updates. Feel free to send me a DM there, or you can email me at 18tre at queensu.sway. Until next time, take care.